0: Like you mentioned, the uh, getting an opportunity to, to kind of take a step or look at the, at the conference as a whole over the weekend. Is this good for the league, bad for the league? I mean, what's what's your feeling on how everything I do is so not care.
1: I do not care. Words to live by. I do not care. Life is so much easier, Shereen Williams, if you just <laughs> uh-huh. do not care so i ask you do you care
2: no i don't i've played golf today mike and i went up and hit a putt i went up and hit a putt i had putted terrible all day and i went up and just smacked a putt and it goes in and i said see what happens when you don't care so yeah i'm on that i don't care track
1: you know it's funny i've talked about this before i take a nap every afternoon to supplement the five hours of sleep i get at night so five plus one is six which probably isn't nearly enough to keep me from dropping dead before I reach 60. But nevertheless, I digress. (laughs) As I was in the process of falling into my mid-afternoon siesta, you have different thoughts rocket through your brain. And I was thinking Uh about golfing. And I haven't golfed in years. And I'll tell you this. I am, when it comes to golfing, ambidextrous. And I am equally bad right-handed and (laughs) left-handed.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. Which do you play better, though? There's got to be one that's better.
1: Well, what happened was we rediscovered it a few years ago, and a friend of mine has left-handed clubs. And I said, you know, I'm left-handed, but I always golfed right-handed because the first time anyone brought a golf club around Mm -hmm. when we were kids, it was a right-handed club. So if you wanted to try it, you had to golf with a right-handed club. So my friend has left-handed clubs and I tried them and I think it's just like swinging a bat bat left-handed it's just that you're lower with it so I did it's like you know I'm not bad at this so I go spend a thousand bucks on left-handed clubs and after about five (laughs) or six times I realize I'm no better left-handed than I was right-handed and I'm not very good right-handed but when I think about it I'm still more inclined to do it right-handed so I'm probably better right-handed because I have a lot more practice stinking at it right-handed than I do stinking (laughs) at it left-handed.
2: Well, you've got one of the nicest courses in the country right there in your backyard. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I know. But they, 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 they. No, I've had opportunities to play on. It's like no, because there's a a pretty nice course about a half hour from here that I played once. And you just know when you don't belong on a course like that. I know when I don't belong on a course like <laughs> that. I don't belong on a putt putt course. Frankly, there have been times in my life where I was halfway decent. The problem is. I get to a certain level of competence, and then I get extremely pissed off if I'm not consistent yeah. at that level. And you got to put so much time to be good at it to Feel be it. or to be like moderately or con- to fool yourself you're halfway decent. You have to go to the driving range. You have to think about it. You have to read yeah. about it. You have to watch. You have to be looking for tips all the time. It's like I don't like it enough to let it consume a chunk of my life. So. I don't do anything halfway. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I will not do anything half-assed. I won't do anything halfway. So it's either all in with golf or all out with golf. I'm all out with golf. And if anyone out there would like to buy a set of mildly used (laughs) left-handed clubs, drop me a line because uh, I'll cut you a deal.
2: That's awesome.
1: All right, let's get to it. And we do care about the ongoing COVID situation in the NFL I guess that's the irony of pretending we don't care off the top there are many things to not care about there is one thing to care about it's the pandemic regardless of and far more important the public health issues and I saw earlier today that the death toll in the United States has crossed 800,000 it continues to sicken and kill people we continue to become increasingly numb to it and in the NFL players are testing positive like never before yesterday's 37 positives accompanied by 25 additional positives today. The Rams closed their training facility and have entered the intensive NFL protocols. The Browns are in the enhanced protocols, all meetings virtually. It's back to like it was last year when we would have maybe one at a time like this. Now we've got multiple, and there's no sense that it's slowing down, Shereen.
2: Yeah, Washington has 10 players now on the list. Browns put eight on there today so yeah it's we're seeing it out of Thanksgiving the numbers have spiked since Halloween Uh, whether that's people being indoors when it's gotten colder or going to parties or whatever it is and you know there's there's also frankly Mike as you said you know we've just gotten numb to the COVID protocols not wearing masks and not doing some of those things I mean I do it most of the time but I can't say I do it all the time not 100% of the time and It's something that you you, you really need to be conscious of and, and go do it. And so I don't know what the answer is for the NFL, but the track that we're on right now, it's going to affect games. It's going to affect teams getting in the playoffs or not getting in the playoffs. And frankly, it could affect the playoffs and the Super Bowl. But the NFL has made it very clear they're going to play the games no matter what. Figure out some players. If you have to sign them off the street to come play, that's what you're going to do. We are not canceling or postponing games.
1: The reality for the NFL as it currently stands, and I said this several weeks back, and the teams are as bunched together as they were then. The Super Bowl champion is going to be the team that manages to yep. stay healthy, that manages to avoid COVID, that manages to rise up at one key moment. There's going to be some key play, some decision, bounce the ball, whatever, and also they're going to benefit from the bad calls that we see from time to time because for every team that gets stung by a bad call, there's a team that benefits from the bad call. Those things all go into the blender, and you press the buttons, you crunch the numbers, and those are the factors that will determine who wins it all this year. But that reality of the vague possibility, any given moment, any given day, A player of significant name recognition landing on COVID-19 reserve is there. And, you know, Shireen, I really do believe they need to start considering the bubble concept for the postseason. I know that there was strong resistance to it last year by the NFL Players Association. But if you want to get these games in, if you want to get these games played with the highest level of talent, see, here's the problem. They're going to play the games, as you said. I don't know what the magic minimum number is between 11 and 40 players who are able to suit up and play, but I have a feeling it's closer to 11 than 40. There's 69 total players, even the Lions this weekend with all the guys who had the flu and all the guys on COVID reserve. There was never a question that they weren't going to have enough players to play. You're not going to have some of your best players, but you're going to have enough players, but they're going to play the games. So from the player's perspective, they can look at it and say, we don't need to do anything because... The money's still going to come in. The games are still going to be played. We don't have to separate ourselves from our families for a month for no additional consideration because we're still going to have these games played, no matter how many guys test positive. I think that's the attitude that the NFL would be dealing with if the NFL tries to get the players to agree that they're going to have some sort of a soft bubble in the postseason, whether it's the final eight, final four, final two, whatever the case may be, they need to be thinking about that because I have a feeling the upcoming holiday season is not going to make the situation better. It's only going to make it worse.
2: Yeah, and people are gathering, and again, you know, the other variants are coming in, and they spread more rapidly, and all of those things that we're seeing the uptick on the positive COVID cases. And we all thought, well, after the vaccines came in, we're over it. Sean McVeigh talked about today all the guys that they've had who've tested positive uh, are vaccinated. So I have a proposal, Mike. I have a different proposal than a bubble, and I've thought a lot about this today. You've talked about at some point the NFL is going to treat it like the flu, whether it's next year or whatever. At some point they treat it like the flu. Guys go out there. They play if they're well enough to play. So what if you mandate, which they mandated as we know, tier 1, tier 2 staff have to get the booster shot by December 27th. They released that yesterday. So what if you tell the players, what if the both sides agree because it takes the NFL PA to agree with the NFL if you get the booster. Now if you've had COVID, we know that they what is it 90 days or whatever it is, they don't have to test. But if you get the booster, if you haven't had COVID recently, you get the booster. We're not going to test you at all, period. We're not going to test you. Unless you have symptoms, we're not going to test you. At that point, a lot of players probably are playing with COVID, but frankly, they're asymptomatic. And the NFL has said repeatedly, we don't think, we have no evidence that it can be transmitted during a game.
1: Well, and I believe that that is something they need to consider for one very important reason. I tweeted that notion today that the NFL should let asymptomatic players who are positive still play in games. Because, again, there is no evidence it transmits in that setting. And as a practical matter, Odo Beckham Jr. test positive today for COVID-19. Do we really think he was negative last night when he was playing in the game between the Rams and the Cardinals? No. T.J. Watt. One of the reasons that he didn't have a great game against the Bengals, he tested positive the next day. And in hindsight, I've talked to some folks who think, yeah, he was probably not feeling well, but he fought through it. You know, not everyone is going to tap out like Ben Roethlisberger did. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have. I'm just saying that not everyone is going to make that decision. It's an individual decision. Some guys aren't going to feel well, but they're not going to miss playing a game of football there's only so many of those days in their life that they're going to have and they're not giving one of them up and there's a certain amount of human denial i don't want to find out i have covid i don't want to be unavailable to show up for work to show up in practice to have the season potentially derailed because of it you got to process a lot of things if all of a sudden you're not feeling well like you don't want to know if you have it you think you can fight your way through it you think it's not it so my point is a lot of guys are playing with covid already that are symptomatic, the current, and and look, I, I understand that the NFL created a looser protocol for vaccinated players in order to persuade players to get vaccinated. But the reality is the testing regimen for the vaccinated allows players to be in the building without masks, on the practice field, without masks, at games, without masks, or any other precautions anywhere if they're positive. And you you only find out in your once-per-week test. So there's already a weird, glaring, logical flaw in the protocol. So why don't they add what really isn't a flaw? It's a logical, strategic acknowledgement that it's not going to transmit on the field. So if you're positive and you're asymptomatic, you can play. Why would they not want to let guys play who are positive and asymptomatic? And I think some of it's political and some of it's PR, but at some point that's going to go out the window. You've got to let guys play who are healthy enough to play.
2: Well, and I think sooner than later, Mike, I mean, because here's the deal. we got a ton of teams now on enhanced protocols. When they go to enhanced protocols, they're testing every single day. Not on Mondays if you're vaccinated. You now get tested every single day. If you get tested every single day, it's just like T.J. Watt. He would have probably been caught before the Bengals game. So then he would have missed that game that week. So we're going to catch more and more of these guys testing positive simply because they're testing more often now. A lot of teams have gone into this. And, you know, with the Rams, with what happened with them yesterday, losing Tyler Higby, frankly, who ended up being a false positive and should have gotten to play as David Johnson should have gotten to play because he was a false positive Saturday, didn't play Sunday, came back on the active roster Monday. But the Rams were able to overcome those two losses and the other losses of players that they had. The NFL is going to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You can still win without those players, including a big name player like Jalen Ramsey but wait until it happens in the playoffs a team loses its quarterback can you imagine two or three days before the game Tom Brady testing positive for COVID oh my gosh this is going to be a scandal a controversy everything else if that happens in the postseason
1: yeah and they have to figure out a way to manage this it's something that's not going away They really have a lot of work to do here. And, you know, last night when the NFL sends out the memo saying Tier 1 and Tier 2 staff have to be boosted by the 27th of December, and it was very vague on players, they haven't reached an agreement with the union as to whether or not players need to be vaccinated again, get a booster shot in order to still be regarded as vaccinated. There's some unnecessary push and pull, I think, and it's unfortunate. And I'd like to think that they can come together for the good of the game and figure out how best to handle this problem because it's not getting any better. Again, it's only getting worse. I wrote something earlier today, and I said something earlier today on PFT Live about the issue of fake vaccination cards, something that the NFL, frankly, doesn't care about. We talked about not caring. They don't care. They don't want to find out how many fake vaccination cards there are. And the more teams that are in enhanced protocols, it doesn't matter because everyone's being tested every day. Anyway, everyone's wearing masks anyway. There's no longer a benefit to being vaccinated when the stakes are raised for a given team. But the -the run-of-the-mill average normal situation, if there are more contagious variants, if this Omicron thing is starting to make its way around, and I feel like once we hear about it, it's already ripped through the population anyway. If you care about minimizing the spread and if you believe as I've been led to believe that people who have it who are vaccinated are less contagious than the people who have it who aren't vaccinated. They should care about finding fake vaccination cards. They should care about vetting the 20 percent of players who got their vaccinations away from team facilities. And someone raised a good point with me today, because the reason after the Antonio Brown thing fell in their lap that they didn't vet all the vaccination cards of those who got their shots away from the team facility they determined by talking to the teams that the rate of positive results for those who got their shots on site is the same as those who got their shots off site and somebody raised with me today the question of whether those percentages still hold now that the numbers have shot up and maybe they should take another survey maybe they should call around again and ask and maybe every time a guy tests positive they should say if he's vaccinated Was it an on-site shot or an off-site shot? And I think any time a guy tests positive who was off-site, that's when they should. I mean, maybe one of these is going to fall into their laps again, Shireen. I just don't think they care enough to do a full sweep because they, I, I believe, at some level, are afraid of what they're going to find out.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard to do, as you've pointed out, because the 80 percent who got their shots on site, you know, those were legit. So you throw all those out. So you've got 20 percent of those who are vaccinated, which last we heard was at 94 percent, I think it was that was a while ago. But you throw all the, those who got it on site out, so it's not that many players, relatively speaking, who you would have to look into, look into their vaccination cards. But to me, that's significant. I mean, if if they're using fake card, first of all, it's against the law. But if you're using a fake card, that just means that you don't care about your teammates or your team or anything else because you're just trying to take care of, of number one uh, and and not take the. Not take the shots, so you know something needs to be done there to at least look at those to say who was really vaccinated, who wasn't. Because I guarantee you, those three players on the Buccaneers, two of whom are still on the Buccaneers, those aren't the only ones in this league. We all know that. And how many coaches and otherwise? How many of those guys are involved too? I guarantee you, there's some of those who probably turned in fake cards.
1: Well, Shereen, I think that's one of the things they don't want to find out, apart from the raw numbers and sims and i were talking earlier today about i said over under 85.5 if i said it at 85.5 league wide fake vaccination cards among players would you take over or under what would be your guess over or under 85.5 you're,
2: you're saying that 85.5 percent were legit right
1: no 85.5 players have submitted fake vaccination cards league wide oh i see what under? you're
2: saying i'd still probably go over
1: yeah, I go over too. so maybe the number needs to be higher. You need to, you need to keep pump, pumping it up until you're not really sure whether you'd go over or under, but I, I think that, that it's, it's not an aberration. They just got lucky. If Antonio Brown pays that live-in chef's bill, we never know about it. Just like if Aaron Rodgers never tests positive, we never know that they were allowing him to show up in the press room without a mask on twice a week. I mean, it really is despicable when you think about it. The level of negligence that the league was applying to this process, it's it's just words on paper. Well, now it's biting them in the ass, and the question is, what are they going to do about it? But as to your point with coaches— I think they don't want to find out one very important thing. And I don't know whether or not this is the case, but I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that maybe for some of these teams, the fake vaccination card hookup was an assistant coach who's an anti-vaxxer who feels very strongly that it's all bogus and it's all phony. And I can't believe they're wasting our time with this. Don't worry about the vaccine. You don't want those nanobots in your body. I know a guy. I'll get you a fake card. I mean, we've heard all sorts of other things over the years about, coach, you know, scalping Super Bowl tickets. and I mean, look, you, you can't put it past them. You can't. So yeah. I don't think they want to find out, Shereen, because the problem is if you end up putting that stuff out there, you're going to have Congress. They're not, you're, you're going to think the Washington football team investigation is a walk in the park if you have a public health crisis you've created because you – established a clear temptation for players and coaches and others to have fake vaccination cards. And you did nothing to vet them. We talked earlier today about the Tampa Bay cards and it hadn't thought of me or it hadn't thought of me. It hadn't occurred to me until Chris said it. These guys are submitting cards from a site 80 miles away. Like, didn't that set off
2: yeah.
1: a red light for somebody in Tampa? Like why would three guys go 80 miles away to get their vaccination? So they, they don't want to know what they would find out if they did a full sweep of all of the cards that were submitted by the people who got their vaccines offsite.
2: Yeah. And it's, this is the thing it's not going, none of this is going away and it's only going to get worse over the next month to six weeks. So I don't know what the answer is. I do know that they need to figure it out very, very quickly. Owners meetings have started here Uh, This week, I'll be over there tomorrow. We'll see what they say, but they've got to figure out something so you don't have a quarterback in the postseason testing positive for COVID two or three days before the game, a playoff game, and, and missing that game. If that happens, I mean, I'm just telling you that we can't, they just can't have that happen, and you can't postpone games. So I don't know what the answer is, but they better figure out what the answer is.
1: Well, you're right, and every time it feels like they have it under control, there's something else that yeah. happens and we've been lucky most of the season that's part of the reason for the complacency we're all human beings we do get fatigue over certain issues and we get a little relaxed and especially the younger guys sim said this from the get go they're not going to care about covid they're not worried about it they don't view it as something right. that's a serious threat to their health they 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 view it as an annoyance and they don't want to mess with it and uh the league's got a mess right now and uh They've got to figure out a way to get it under control or, for the postseason, maybe revise these protocols. I know they're very big on not making changes that would affect the integrity of a season. You know, like if all of a sudden they would say asymptomatic players who are positive can play, that's not fair because they've been knocking players out all year long who were asymptomatic and COVID-positive. Maybe it's something you can do for the postseason. Maybe. I mean, they can do whatever they want. Right. And we see them make it up as they go all the time. Yeah. This is the ultimate situation to justify making it up as you go. And I think that would be a smart thing for them to consider. You can keep the guys who are positive and asymptomatic away from everyone else. But when it's time to show up and play, you, you go out on the field without fear that the virus is going to be transmitted to anyone else. All right. Uh, any other any other stuff on COVID? There's so much COVID. There was one other thing that I was thinking of, but it's gone, so it must not have been that important. I'll probably think about it at some point later, and I probably won't have time to talk about it. So if I do think of it, I'll write about it at PFT. Let's take a break. Some other news unrelated to the ongoing COVID crisis in the NFL when PFT PM continues right after this. Do you think Dak is in a slump right now?
2: Oh, I, I don't want to say uh, that – uh, slump uh, but that's a that's probably fair uh but uh it's such a multi faceted evaluation uh, but, but i I would say that our offense is definitely uh, uh, away from where we were playing uh five and six games ago.
1: Well, that is definitely the case. The offense is not what it was. And is it simple enough, Shireen, to say that Dak may still be dealing with the calf injury, that's, that there's something that got thrown off when he missed that time that he just can't get back from a timing standpoint? And, you know, he's still 13, 14 months removed yeah. from that badly broken ankle. All those different things. I'm not saying that he's got injuries that are being hidden, but It wouldn't be the first time it's happened in the NFL this year. I I just feel like he's been a different player since he had that calf injury that happened when he threw the game-winning touchdown pass in the overtime win in Foxborough.
2: Well, the numbers say that, Mike. The first six games with Dak, the Cowboys scored 22 touchdowns in the last. Of course, he missed one game there with the calf injury. But the last six games that Dak has played, 13 touchdowns. That's just a huge difference. And the defense has carried this team. You know, in the six games since he had that calf injury, eight touchdowns, six interceptions. Before the calf injury, we were talking about him as the MVP candidate. We're no longer talking about that now. Vic Fangio said after that Denver win that teams just weren't playing them right defensively. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe they've caught up with Kellen Moore. Maybe it's Dak Prescott. Maybe it's not having a fully healthy Ezekiel Elliott who's averaged under four yards a carry the last five games because of that knee. Maybe it's missing Tony Pollard last week. All those things probably add up to it. Now Tyron Smith's out again. All those things probably factor in, but all I know, whatever the reason is, Dak hasn't been Dak. He hasn't been the same player he was the first six games when we were discussing him as an MVP candidate. He's not that guy right now. They have four games to figure this out. They have a three-game lead. They're going to win the NFC East. They're not going 0-4 in these last four games. They're going to beat the Giants on Sunday. We all know that without Daniel Jones. But... They've got to figure it out over these last four games before they get to the postseason because they may have to play the Rams or the Cardinals in the first round, and that's not going to be a walk in the park.
1: Yeah, and uh, you're right. They're not going to be able to avoid the Rams. They're not going to climb up the ladder. You've got three teams tied at 10-3. and three. The Cowboys are going to have a hard time catching them, and they're going to have a hard time avoiding the Rams. Maybe they get lucky and the Rams – jump the Cardinals and send the Cardinals to number yeah. 5, and Arizona comes to Dallas. Although, based on how that game went last year, it wasn't good. And they'd get a little preview <laughs> of Arizona-Dallas because that's yeah. coming up in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, the Rams, based on how they look last night, are not going to be easy for anyone to beat in that first round of the playoffs, even if it is at Dallas. I, I just... I, I'm, If they ever put it all together, they're going to be dominant. The defense really good. is so much better than it was if they can put the offense back to where it was and you know somebody's gonna get hot somebody's gonna get hot I mean right now the Chiefs and the Patriots and a few other teams are are winning but as we get toward week 18 and into the postseason somebody's really gonna find that gas pedal and there's time and you try to make your changes and adjustments on the fly and hope you can figure it all out the Steelers have a lot to figure out as it relates to their effort to get to the postseason I still believe With their 6-6-1 record, I believe that when the dust settles on the 272 regular season games, biggest season ever, and it's going to stay that way until they go to 18 games, which I think is coming, that, that one, that and one, that tie is going to make a difference. It's going to get them in by the skin of their teeth or keep them out by the skin of their teeth. Either way, I think it's going to matter. And one thing they need to do is have a little better situational awareness like Chase Claypool didn't on Thursday night when he chewed up 14 seconds of clock time by celebrating a first down and then wondering why a teammate was trying to take the ball away from him and the ball (laughs) hits the ground and it was like Keystone Cops for them to try to set up and, and get the ball snapped. Here is Mike Tomlin from earlier today talking about Chase Claypool's overall maturity or lack thereof as reflected by his behavior in that key moment of Thursday night's loss.
2: Mike, the first down signaling by Claypool on that final drive, have you had a chance to review the tape and see how much time you missed there? And how do you address that with Claypool and the rest of the team so that things like that don't happen going on? You know,
0: we don't wait for stuff like that to happen to to address it. That's built in our two minute teachings uh, at team development. And obviously uh, he had a misstep in that area. He had missteps in other areas. He's a young guy that's growing uh, and developing in a lot of ways. Um, It can't happen fast enough for him, and it can't happen fast enough for us. Um, We're going to continue to push that growth and development as long as he's a willing participant. Uh, He has been, and and so we're just going to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, you know, some missteps are more important than others. There was a nonchalance there about Tom, and it tells me that he's got a style that, and this is the way it needs to be, if you're coaching a bunch of different guys, you have to have an approach that works with each guy. Jimmy Johnson. Work that to perfection you have a different Bastard. relationship with every individual on your team and you develop that sense of what it takes to get a good response out of this one good response out of that one this player responds well to tough love this player responds well to positive reinforcement this player you you know he he responds if you piss him off uh, sim says that the the story on wes welker when he was in new england was it welker or edelman I think it was Welker. The more he was pissed off, the better he was. So they'd go out of their way to try to piss him off. So um, you need to understand what it's going to take. And apparently with Claypool, it's kid gloves. But I, I, I look, if you're teaching that type of awareness in the two-minute situation, it's not taking because that was a critical moment. How do you not realize? How does anybody who's ever played football at any level not realize in that moment You don't celebrate, you don't delay, you don't waste your time. You get the ball back to the official so it can be set, snapped, and spiked. This is not some high-level football concept that requires, you know, years of experience and thought. Watch Harrison Smith here, too. I don't know what Harrison Smith was thinking about doing. Like, am I helping him up? Am I taking the ball? What's going on? The whole thing was just bizarre. And I feel like at this age and at this experience level, if you don't get it, you never will, Shereen.
2: Oh, exactly right. And a, a, a fact about Jimmy Johnson, I don't know if you know this or not, but he his degree is in psychology, and it served him well in how to deal with players. Every player, as you said, he dealt with differently, and I get the feeling that with Mike Tomlin it's the same. I mean, you look at A.B. all those years, we never heard anything behind the scenes about A.B., and then all of a sudden it comes out after Juju Smith-Schuster's named MVP of the team. We get all the facts of everything that was building over the years with this team but he's done a very good job at it but yeah this is not something that you have to teach a player i mean this is taught at the little league level the peewee level i mean the clock's running you get up to the line you don't celebrate and and you move on to the next play spike the ball and get ready for the next play you can't celebrate a first down and you know, that's on Chase Claypool to figure that out. I know James Washington said that Tomlin talked to the entire team about this. It didn't look like to me that the entire team needed a lesson in this. It looked like it was Chase Claypool because Trey Turner's the one trying to get the ball and set it back down. They all know the situation. It was Chase Claypool on his own trying to, trying to act crazy, selfish, and that's what it was. That's exactly what it was, selfish player.
1: And the psychology degree, what a benefit that is when you consider that yeah. and, and th- this this is a, this is a great john Madden quote I, I heard it recently because I think it's part of the documentary that debuts Christmas Day on Fox. If you win a Super Bowl before you're fired, you're a genius, and everyone listens to you, but as a but, but a coach is just a guy whose best class in grammar school was recess and whose best class in high school was phys ed. <laughs> I never thought I was that's anything awesome. but a guy whose best class was phys ed. So uh, that's John Madden. And, uh, you know, maybe it does pay to have a psychology degree if you want to be the best coach you possibly can be. Let's take a break. When we we'll return week 14 awards on this Tuesday afternoon edition of PFT PM. So we'll be right back.
0: There've been a lot of comparisons made recently about uh, Micah Parsons and Lawrence Taylor. Uh, I can see the smile on your face. Um, should we be making that comparison? Well, I don't think so yet. I mean, he's he's started to have a heck of a career. when you start talking about the best player to ever play defense in this league, uh, slow down just a
1: little bit. That's not an unfair point by Bruce Arians. When I first saw the quote, I thought, why the hell is Bruce Arians talking about any player who isn't on his team and specifically a player who he may be facing again in the postseason? I would say, yes, he's Lawrence Taylor. He's Lawrence Taylor. He's Alan Page. He's Jack Lambert. He's Ronnie Lott. He's all of them tied up in one guy. And I hope we can just block him if we have to play him again. All right, we welcome in MDS for the Week 14 awards and we start as always not on the defensive side but the offensive side mds you are up
0: 49ers tight end george kittle is my pick he was remarkable in the win over the bengals with 13 catches for 151 yards and a touchdown with this combination of size and speed kittle can just do so much in that offense and bengals coach zach taylor was beside himself after the game with some of his comments. He was talking about how thoroughly his defense had prepared for Kittle, how they were well aware that the 49ers would go to Kittle in the biggest moments. It it wasn't that they weren't ready for Kittle. He said Kittle just made plays no matter what they threw at him to try to stop him. The 49ers are looking like they're going to be a tough team to beat down the stretch. Kittle is a player no defense will want to have to reckon with. In the playoffs, I think Zach Taylor described it pretty well that you can know what they're going to do and you can't stop it.
2: George Kittle's been on here quite a bit lately, MDS. He's been playing terrific. Another guy who's been playing terrific, and if he had been there two games ago, the Vikings probably would have won that game. We're talking about Dalvin Cook, and when they play a Thursday night game, they sometimes get lost in the Sunday and Monday games, and we sometimes forget about those players. You can't forget about Dalvin Cook. 27 carries, 205 yards, two touchdowns. Also caught a pass for 17 yards. He was so good with 222 yards from scrimmage. That was a huge victory over Pittsburgh that the Vikings desperately needed. He now has 978 yards and six touchdowns in 10 games. If the Vikings have him, Mike, they're a really, really good offense, a much better offense than they are without him.
1: And if they're going to save Mike Zimmer's job, it's going to be Dalvin Cook making that offense go. It's still an uphill climb. That loss to Detroit hurt them so badly, but they did get the win over Pittsburgh, even though they tried their game to blow a 29-0 lead, and they've got the Bears coming up on Monday Night Football. I want Rash- Rashad Penny. I remember when the Seahawks made him their first-round pick in 2018. The Seahawks have been desperate to find consistency at the tailback position since Marshawn Lynch left, and they haven't had anyone nearly as durable as Lynch ever was, and Rashad Penny has had his share of injuries he missed two games as a rookie six games his second year he played in only three games last year he's appeared in six this year but he had his best day ever with 137 rushing yards and a couple of touchdowns he showed a burst he's got size he's got speed and if they can just find a way to keep him healthy now good luck with that because I think past performance does predict future durability or lack thereof in the NFL but it was good to see him finally have the kind of performance that they thought he would have when they made him a first-round pick out of San Diego State. But it just underscores the struggles the Seahawks have had offensively because they just haven't had that presence and that consistency and that performance in the running game since Marshawn Lynch. All right, uh, MDS, you're up next with Defensive Player of the Year or Week. Not year, but week, but maybe both. He, he won't be the Chiefs. He, he won't be the defensive
0: player of the year because he's only made an impact for half the year. But the Chiefs got Melvin Ingram for a sixth round draft pick just before the trade deadline. And he has made an enormous difference, made a big impact in that dominant win over Las Vegas on Sunday. And before Melvin Ingram arrived, they played eight games. The Chiefs were four and four and were allowing an average of 28 points a game. Since Ingram arrived, the Chiefs are 5-0 and and they're allowing an average of 10 points a game. I don't know if I've ever seen a defense turn things around mid-season the way the Chiefs have this year. I'm not saying Melvin Ingram is the only player responsible for that, but it's more than just a coincidence that he arrived and that defense really improved. He has done a great job and he's a big part of the reason the Chiefs, again, are looking like Super Bowl contenders.
2: We just talked about the Cowboys' offensive struggles and what's going on with Dak Prescott. There's no questions about that defense, and you could have picked several guys off of that defense, so I have picked two. So in this category, Defensive Player of the Week, I'm going to go with Randy Gregory. Welcome back, Randy Gregory, one of my very favorite players of all time, great person, great player. He was terrific in that game after that calf injury. One tackle, one sack, two quarterback hits, an interception that should be on highlight reels for a long time to come, a forced fumble, a pass defense. He ended the game on third and three there with that strip sack of Kyle Allen, and it was lights out. Randy Gregory, welcome back to the Cowboys.
1: Yeah, look, I, I have to go with Aaron Donald. The guy that I saw last night was the peak Aaron Donald, and I've got a theory that he spent Sunday, Sunday night, maybe Monday morning, hearing all about Micah Parsons. And Micah Parsons this, and Micah Parsons that, and Lawrence Taylor this, and Lawrence Taylor that. And he just had the demeanor last night of a guy who wanted to remind everybody about who he was and what he can do, and he was phenomenal. He had a sack right out of the gates, and the sack at the end of the game, and it was disappointing because it robbed us of what I thought was going to be a potentially special moment with Kyler Murray running around and maybe firing up another Hale-Murray type of a ball that would have potentially forced overtime. You could see, watch him here, Murray avoids the sack, and then there's Aaron Don. He's like, "We are. this is not happening. We are not going to let this guy... Get free and he turns on the afterburners, puts Kyler Murray down, puts the game away. Aaron Donald, who I think right now it's seven to one, sneaky, smart play for defensive yeah. player of the year. You can get value on that bet. So uh Aaron Donald still one of the very best to have ever done it. Rookie of the week, MDS, who do you have?
0: Chargers rookie receiver Josh Palmer knew he was gonna get more opportunities on Sunday against the Giants with Keenan Allen out. And Palmer stepped up in a big way with five catches for 66 yards and a touchdown, definitely the best game of his young career. Prior to Sunday, the Chargers hadn't really incorporated Palmer much into their passing game, but he looked like a player they can count on if they need him. He's going to be valuable for them down the stretch, I think.
2: Speaking of Lawrence Taylor, I mean, Michael Parsons, that's that's a joke. I'm not comparing him to to (laughs) Lawrence Taylor. I think he needs more than this season. But he looked terrific and continues to look terrific and – I don't know how many times I've picked him as Rookie of the Week, but it's been a lot. And I think if there was just a single category of Rookie of the Year, not offensive and defensive, I think he would win the award over Mac Jones, over any of the quarterbacks that were drafted. And how he fell to 12th in this draft, we'll never know. But he looks like one of the best players out of this draft. Three tackles, two sacks a tackle for loss, a forced fumble that was returned for a touchdowns. In the last six games, six games, he has nine and a half sacks. He has 12 for the season. I think they figured out how good of a pass rusher he is. I'm not sure they knew that before they started losing all those pass rushers and had to use him as a pass rusher. They know now, and everybody else in the league knows now too, Mike.
1: And he told me after the game he likes moving around because it creates more chaos for the offense. They don't know where he's going to be. They can pick the best spot for him to get the best matchup. You know, that's the difference between him and an edge rusher. Edge rusher, you always know where that guy is. Now some of them move around, yeah. but not with the kind of versatility and flexibility that Michael Parsons has. Right. This one for me, and this isn't based on this week's performance because Rashawn Slater did not grade out well against the Giants. But I picked, first of all, I didn't know who else to pick because I always defer to the two of you. I'm not complaining. I'm just being transparent. I let you guys pick first, and I take the last one. And some weeks, I'm like, who the hell am I going to take? So I'm taking Rashawn Slater for the comparison as it relates to the Giants because whether it was Michael Parsons, whether it was Rashawn Slater, they shouldn't have done what they did when they traded out of the 11th spot and stockpiled a first-rounder for next year. Because when they didn't get Devontae Smith, the guy that they had to have, they went to their fallback, Kadarius Toney, who has not been great for them. And that's putting it mildly. Some of the stuff I'm hearing, Kadarius Toney has been a handful for them behind the scenes. And if they had to do it all over again, they probably would stay put at number 11. Well, clearly they'd stay at number 11 and take Michael Parsons. But they also need help on the offensive line. And Rashawn Slater maybe could have been good enough to stave off whatever major changes are coming. And You know, I'm I'm starting to hear that maybe Joe Judge isn't as safe as they want us to believe he's going to be, especially with a new GM on the way in. So, Rashawn Slater, kind of by default, not because of his performance necessarily against the Giants, because the Giants could have had him or Michael Parsons, and the guy they have is not going to help them get to where they're trying to be. All right, Coach of the Week time, MDS, who do you have?
0: Titans coach Mike Vrabel worked on Urban Meyer's staff at Ohio State for two years, but Meyer could not call Vrabel a loser on Sunday as Vrabel's Titans just beat the tar out of Myers' Jaguars. 20 nothing win, and it never even felt that close. This Titans team has been hit hard by injuries, but I still think they're going to win the AFC South and be very dangerous in January, and I think it's a real credit to Vrabel that all those injuries didn't send their season into a tailspin. Vrabel has his team playing winning football.
2: I'm going to take issue with one thing that Sean McVay said today. He said they were in a uniquely challenging position with all the COVID cases. I don't think that's true. We talked a lot about all the COVID cases. Challenging, absolutely. There's no question. They lost two players right before the game, hours before the game, Jalen Ramsey and Tyler Higbee. How do you make up for those two guys I don't know how they did it, but they did it. DeAndre Hopkins had 12 targets, five catches for 54 yards. Now he's having an MRI. We know that. Stafford was terrific. Channer Jones and Marcus Golden, they had three pressures in one sack. Wherever you want to look on this Rams team, they got the job done. Aaron Donald we already talked about, but credit to Sean McVay for having that team ready to play in a game they had to win if they were going to stay in the division race.
1: And kudos to Cooper Cup, who had 13 catches for 123 yards right. last night. We wrote an item earlier today at PFT. He could break the single-season reception yard of 149 held by Michael Thomas and the single-season yardage reception uh, a record set by Calvin Johnson nine years ago of 1964, I believe. He's, he's not on pace to break them, but he could, and I think the Rams will be very aware of that as the season continues to unfold. I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan. You know, coming off of a disappointing loss in Seattle, it would have been very easy for the 49ers to kind of fall apart. But one thing that Kyle Shanahan does well, and this dovetails with something that Sims and I were talking about today on PFT Live, he figures out ways to get the ball to his best players. And his best players, by far, are Debo Samuel and George Kittle. And unlike teams like the Seahawks, where you wonder, why aren't they using D.K. Metcalf? Why aren't they getting the ball in the hands of this guy who can just do incredible things with it? Why aren't they using him in the backfield? Why aren't they designing plays where he's going to be open by virtue of just the design, the timing of the throw? You don't have to get open down the field. They do it with Kittle. They do it with Samuel, and it all tracks back to Shanahan. And, uh, you know, to hold it together, to keep the team together after they blew that lead, after they 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 let the uh, Bengals drive down the field to start overtime, they stiffened when they needed to. They got the win all across the board. Shanahan turning a team that was ready to fall off the cliff into a real playoff contender, and I think they're going to make it. I think they're going to get one of those wild card bursts, and they could be a dangerous team when the postseason rolls around. All right, we need to take a break. But before we do, MDS, I have to give you – some props for breaking out the very old school PFT shirt. We have not had gear in a long time. I think we need to bring it back. I think this is the impetus. Yeah. This is the old. I think, I think that was stitched in my basement once upon a time, but impressive that you still have it. Impressive it's not moth-eaten like your cabana gear. Well done. Well done breaking that out today. It, it makes me want to go find some of my old PFT gear.
0: It's great stuff. It's comfortable. It's warm on a cold day. I love it.
1: All right. Well, uh, great stuff as always. And uh, we'll be back to wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM right after this.
0: Minnesota in December is a winter wonderland, although a bit on the chilly side. There are many quaint winter carnival pastimes. But some things can get out of hand. More than 40,000 watched in disbelief as a hot air balloon carried an 11-year-old boy over the light towers and eventually dumped him in the icy Minnesota River. It was a tough act to follow, but the
1: That is something and uh, <laughs> boy that made me smile today December 14, 1969. First of all, the cart with the fire that they, like Uh, Part of me wants one of those and part of me doesn't want one of those. I mean, just fire shooting out of the front end to help thaw out in vain the field. And it looked like they're racing. The fire-breathing cart races. Come on, you can do it. Go, you can go. I, how's that stuff not catching on fire? It just shows you how cold it was. We got the we got the uh, trampoline there. We got the the hot air balloon. The poor 11-year-old boy ends up dumped in the Minnesota River. And Pat Summerall, Summerall so nonchalant about it, so casual about it, no uh-huh. big deal. By the way, if you're curious, that day the 49ers and the Vikings played. The Vikings won the game 10-7. to To move to 12-1, and they would go to the Super Bowl that year and lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. And in that game, Steve Spurrier had a touchdown pass for the San Francisco 49ers. It was a one-yard pass to Ted Kowalik. And uh, Momsilo Gaverick had the extra point for the San Francisco 49ers. By the way, the Vikings came from behind with a 50... No, I was four years old. Are are, are you trying to insult me? I was four.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know.
1: Okay all right good
2: well you were four also do you remember that game <laughs> yeah, i do not
1: actually i no. was four and six months you were four and nine months for that game so you'd have a yeah. better chance to i remember was older than i would all right uh, uh, let's get to some of the questions today here's one if i can find it wait a minute i'm getting warm i'm getting warm i got my outline all screwed up new york nick Josh McDaniels said today he has no regrets over not taking the Colts head coaching job. Do you think the Colts are better off without Josh McDaniels, Shereen?
2: I don't think the Colts have any regrets about not getting Josh McDaniels. I think they are fine with who they got as their head coach, and I think they'll be fine without him. And now I think the question still is, does he have his quarterback? Is Carson Wentz the guy? But I do think they have found their coach, and I think they're going to win with this coach. I just think it might take another quarterback for them to get it done. But otherwise, they're going to make the playoffs, and I don't know what they would have been under Josh McDaniels. He probably would have already been gone.
1: Nothing shows how imperfect the hiring process in the NFL is more than what happened to the Colts four years ago. They locked on to Josh McDaniels, and McDaniels verbally took the job. Didn't sign. Wasn't official, official, because he couldn't. It's one of the flaws in the hiring cycle. You can do a wink-nod deal, but it's not official. So he was able to back out, and he did back out. And then they stumble into Frank Reich. And they didn't even think of Frank Reich before then. That's another reason why they should wait until after the Super Bowl to even start the process. Frank Reich improved his prospects by what he did for the Eagles in the most important games of the year. And it worked out very well for the Colts, and it's worked out well for McDaniel. I think McDaniel's ship is going to come in if he wants it to one of these years. I don't know that he wants it to. Maybe he will be the guy who takes over for Bill Belichick one of these days if Belichick ever does leave. Jake Somerville, for the Eagles' last four games of the season, who do you trust more at quarterback, Gardner Minshew or Jalen Hurts? Shereen, who do you trust?
2: Well, we've already said, I'm a big Gardner Minshew fan, and I think he should be starting somewhere because I do think he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in this league, but I don't probably trust either one of them, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to go with Gardner Minshew. I don't think he'll play. Jalen Hurts is going to be the guy, but I would pick Gardner Minshew.
1: Yeah, look, I think with Jalen Hurts, they're trying to figure out what they have in him, whether or not he's the guy they can build around going forward. He's been better than I thought he was going to be, and I think the Eagles are pleasantly surprised. You have to ask yourself, what are we really trying to do here? Are we trying to just scratch and claw our way to a playoff berth that probably would not cause us to move very deep into the postseason? Or are we trying to lay the foundation for something more, understand what we have, and make some big-picture decisions after the season? So... I get why they're going with Hurts, but I trust the experience of Gardner Minshew just a little bit more if you're trying to get to the playoffs and see how deep you can go. Kevin Brown, who do you like more this weekend in the matchup of rookie quarterbacks? Davis Mills, the third rounder from Stanford of the Texans, or Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick who had four interceptions on Sunday in Nashville?
2: I don't like either one of them, but I saw the first half. I had the Houston game. Davis Mills looked really good in the first half of that game. I haven't seen enough out of Trevor Lawrence yet this year. I just think the Jaguars are in disarray right now. I think the Texans are going to win that game again. It's going to be a horrible game. I hope I'm not assigned to cover that game because it's going to be one of those games that you absolutely don't want to watch, Mike. Train wreck.
1: Well, and and, and I'll say this. Trevor Lawrence is a prime example of how a guy's career, where he goes, and where he's playing, who he's playing for, everything going on around him can impact his overall development and this is i'm not going to get on the soapbox because we don't have enough time to do it i'm a firm believer that the guys entering the nfl should be able to pick their teams the same way that they pick their teams when they go to college and i know that gets people all up in arms but if it was your child or if it was you yourself you would want to do that all right good stuff as always shereen everyone enjoy your evening we'll see you bright and early 7 a.m eastern for pft live thanks as always for joining your- us